Hi, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, uh, the podcast brought to you by the guys from the Guitar Show UK. Um, I am with my good friend Jason Hunt. Jace, how are you? I'm all right, Ant. How are you? I'm really well, really well. Have you had a good lockdown week? Yes, I have. Um, what have I done? I've been, I've been doing a lot of marking. Which oh, okay. Is, um, it's always uh, one of the most interesting times of the year um, when you're yes. a, a lecturer. Um, when you uh, you you read some essays and you're like, oh my god, they listened to everything I said, and then you read other essays and you go, oh my god, they listened to nothing that I said. <laughs> I I don't know if I'd want to ever find out if people listened or don't listen to anything I said, so I don't have that moment to face uh, on an uh, annual basis. It's it's um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, time. Um, also, um, I do wonder how, with spell check built into Word, you can produce essays with spelling mistakes in, is beyond me. Yeah, grammatical error you can live with, can't you? But spelling error should have been a thing in the... Yeah, I was reading thing one in yesterday the past. that said, uh, you know, it got little things like I, but it was a lowercase mm. I. And you're like, but Word changes it automatically. Yeah. Yeah. You've gone back and deliberately changed that. <laughs> Change it to <laughs> right on. Uh, um, one thing I must point out: if you're listening to this and you think it sounds slightly different, that's because it does sound slightly different. And it's not because we've changed anything. We're the same people. I know we're a week older, but we're the same people. Um, environments haven't changed, um, but we are. I've I made the decision. I was listening to a podcast which had um, people p- uh, pan to the left and right, so that you got something. So instead of instead of the fact we, we're not coming in your ears, we're Jason's coming in your <laughs> left. Jason's coming left ear, and I'm coming in your right ear. Um, and uh, in in a hope that when we do the interviews uh, with a third person, that it makes it easier to. To, to gauge everything because the interviewee will be straight down the centre and will be slightly left and right. And you picked, you picked, picked left, left because Mal- explain Malcolm, Malcolm Young's always on the left. <laughs> and uh, I like to think of myself as like a solid rhythm player that's just holding it all down. So there you have it, folks. That's the reason why Jason is coming slightly... Left of centre in your ears um, uh, as you listen to this. Um, we, we, it's funny though; we didn't ask how the stones split. No, um, well, it's the because, ancient art of weaving, isn't it? They're all over the place. Well, they are. They didn't, but they weren't in the in the um, Mick Taylor years. They weren't. They were definite left and right, weren't they? I mean, do you want me to Google it now? <laughs> well, you can do if you. I'm just wondering if who I've ended up as. I know. I'm, I know. I'm Angus. Um, which we, we has come as a shock um, uh, <laughs> to everybody, actually. Um, but but am I am I Mick or am I Keith? Um, oh, hang on a minute. Let's see what the wonderful word of Ma- Google. And maybe says. I'm wrong. Maybe it isn't that they did it that way around. But I thought it was fairly through that period. It was it was fairly all uh, you know autom- not automated, but it was fairly structured. I'm going to have to come back to you because I've just right. read a, um, a, a recent interview where he said we weren't panned, but that was uh-huh. on the Blue and Lonesome album. Right. Okay. Keith, Keith's not going to remember. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> there's, no, there's no point asking Keith about what happened in 1968. No. He's, he's not, or 71. There's not a hope. Um, bless him. But right, okay. So Jason's slightly distracted as he's trying, as as you've realised neither of us can multitask. <laughs> no. uh, so I'll carry on. Bloody great screen in front of me as well. I'll carry on gabbing while he's looking for this. So um, this week we are talking to Erwin uh, Sparks, who is the guitarist and singer, and um, essentially he is the Hoosiers, isn't he? Yeah, it's him, him and the drummer, I think, isn't it? Yeah, uh, they're mates from school. 
Yes. So we uh, we had a long chat with with Irwin. Um, how do you how do you know Irwin? How do we how did well, that I, one come about? I don't really know Irwin at all, or didn't until we had a chat with him. But um, one of my fellow tutors at uh, BIM, um, Eric, he looks after their um, digital marketing. I think that's what he does. Um, I mean, Eric Eric's amazing. He works with so many incredible artists. Looks after James Blunt as well. Uh, Grace right. Jones. Um, he's done a lot of work with Elton John. Uh, I I had Bloody to. Yeah, that's a dinner party. <laughs> I had to um, I had to observe uh, one of Eric's classes last year as part of the sort of like you know ensuring that the tutors are delivering work of a appropriate sta- standard. And um, I sat at the back of Eric's class, sort of behind the students, so I could see what the students were doing as well, uh, which was mainly scrolling through social media. Whilst I was utterly wrapped with the information he was giving out, I was like, "This is absolute gold." Why are they not list? I mean, he, he, you know, it it was brilliant. He's he's brilliant at what he does, and um, he very kindly um, sorted out this um, interview. And now I'm badgering him for um, James Blunt because I think that would yeah. be fascinating. Well, well, to be fair, it would. But now I've found out about Grace Jones and Elton John, then I'd quite, you know. Grace yeah. Jones. That, no, that'd scare me, I think. Yeah, he doesn't work with Elton anymore. Um, right. But uh, I, I'm not entirely sure I'd want to interview Elton John. Um, I think it's probably just left, you know, yeah. at arm's length. I've got a feeling he might annoy me. Okay, there you have it. <laughs> there you have Don't tell Elton. So, um, we had a great chat with Erwin, uh, as you'll hear. Uh, we'll uh, We'll dive straight into that. We'll not give it any any sort of preamble and then uh, we can have a little a little chat at the end all right see you in a bit it's another lockdown recording so i'm i'm staring at people on the screen uh, my good friend jace is is there hi jace how are you hi i'm fine thanks how are you mate i'm really really well um and we have erwin sparks from the Hoosiers with us hi erwin how's things with you yeah not bad thanks very much yeah uh, I feel I should start by asking you the the um, the lockdown question of what you've been up to. But before I do that, I'm just going to have to say, Erwin Sparks is the most incredible name I think I've ever come across. Is that your name or is that a... Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I will... I'll, you were christened I'll pass that. Your... I, I am, yeah. I, I am indeed. And I, I always wished... I never liked it as a kid. I always wished I was called Peter. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Because I, I was a big fan of Spider-Man. I wished I was Spider-Man. <laughs> I wanted to be Peter, Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, did, didn't happen. Better than, yeah, it's more suitable than, than actually being called Spider, I guess, <laughs> which would be Spider-Man's first name, I'm presuming. Yeah, the problem with being a Peter is with great great Peter comes great responsibility, <laughs> and that's the and that's I've the downside. I've always said that, Anthony. Thank Have you? you. Yeah. yeah. It's been one of my sayings, one of my things, actually. Has it? My go-tos. Is it one of your go-tos? All right, okay, fine. Please, I stumbled on that then. Anyway, so how's your lockdown been so far? Well, thanks for asking the, uh, yeah, obligatory kindness. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a funny old one, isn't it? And I suppose everyone said that. But um, it's, I, I feel I've never been busier. And I, I can imagine I've got, even from a few pals I speak to, everyone's having very different lockdowns hmm. in this, in it together. I don't think so. I'm not buying that line for a start, but my, my particular one is, is very busy because um, I'm full-time childcare at the moment and my wife has gone back to work from the bedroom and um, that made her sound like a prostitute. I'd like to uh, retract that. Uh, simply she has us. A... No, I've got the same thing going on. My wife is working from the bedroom as well, uh, and I'm doing full-time childcare, and my wife, honestly, right. is the furthest thing from a prostitute. <laughs> much, <laughs> much at times to my disappointment. But um, So anyway, back to yeah. your wife. Thank, thanks very much. Yeah, so, so there she is, working away, and um, I um, yeah got... My, my hands full uh, for the day with a baby, and then um, the couple of naps I'm trying to squeeze in, um, the the last minute bits of, of work that I can ahead of my debut album, um, which is a solo album, which is coming out on Friday the 29th of May. Didn't I? That teed up nicely. I tell you what, that was brilliant. You you because yeah. this is obviously a 40 45 minute podcast, and you 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 thought it was a 30 second radio clip, so you've got it in right <laughs> at the beginning, haven't you? It's just in case you you kind of you know we don't get to it 
I figured, you know, get that one in nicely, nice and early. So Erwin, tell us about your debut album. <laughs> well, okay, since you ask. Um, yeah, it's the, it's called Whitetail Falls is the, the name of the project. And um, it's, it was, it's, it's the most personal, that's the kind of seems trite, but, but it is, it's just true. And it's an album um, written, I think after a time of being, uh, feeling in my, my mid thirties, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that where you kind of wake up and, and wonder, how did you get here to this, this place? You didn't really see your life taking you to this place and it doesn't it's that like that talking heads line like this whose life is this is this is not my house it's not my beautiful wife or um it just felt like um i I didn't you maybe weren't autonomous in your own decisions and you you didn't really understand why you'd ended up where you had and there there was some mental turbulence and um some yeah some I, i as far as music as well i wasn't sure that i wanted to carry on I was doing um, a lot of co-writing and that was sort of sucking a bit of life out of uh, the joy of music. And then this album was sort of a, a return to trying to find the joy as to why I bothered to pick up a guitar in the first place when I was a, a pup. Mm. And um, and in doing so, it, it's really, yeah, being, being able to kind of, I think in terms of songwriting as well, it's it's the whole, when I was young, I'd, I'd write songs because I didn't know really how I felt. And writing the song, by the process of doing that, I'd have a better idea of, of where I was at after mm. the song. And there was like a, a lot of freedom, a lot of catharsis in doing that. And and that got a bit lost as well. Um, maybe as well, when, which is perhaps understandable when music becomes a business and you, you're looking to try and, and make a few shekels from it. Well, it's funny because I, um, I can really, really appreciate where you are with that because I... Um, I started a podcast earlier on the year, which is just me talking into a microphone, and it was a it it, it was a exactly the same thing a cathartic experience to allow me to reconnect with what I was thinking because I was finding after I'd I've, I I stopped working uh, on a full time role uh, like in August, and I was having odd weeks where I was really struggling a little bit, and uh, and there was lots of stuff bouncing around in my head I couldn't really make sense of, and actually talking about it really really helped, and it became the easiest thing in the world to set a microphone up and just speak into a mic um mm. and through that found myself saying things when they were, when they came out and i was like well that's crystallized into something and i didn't know i was even going to say that wow. it kind of happened and the whole process was going along that and i guess same sort of, you know same mm. sort of thing if you've reconnected with the songs in in quite a personal way yeah yeah i think it's that um that's a really interesting though the, the similarity there of just i guess it's a stream of consciousness of, yes yeah like just um i i mean i'd i'd find it at points in uh i i had therapy for a couple of years and and there were moments in that i, I found it frustrating at the beginning because i wanted someone to give me answers yeah. and the whole point that my my very good uh counselor pointed out is that they, yeah, they have to be your answers. You find your own. And that, that's annoying because it's harder. But after a process of just yakking away, you kind of say something and it just hits you. And, and it's a, a strange feeling. I, I can appreciate when you say something that surprises you and you're like, all right, that's how I really feel about that. I yes. didn't know. <laughs> it's weird, weird old life. Yeah, well, I I found that I um, was working on trying to put a website together and starting a little bit of a business idea. And I, and I had a mental block about starting it. And I realized when I was talking one day on the podcast that I was just scared. I was actually, this thing I'd been saying for, you know, saying to people, when you're in full-time work, you'll say to people, well, I can do this and I can do that. And if I ever had the opportunity, I'd love to do this because I'm sure I've got the skills. And then when you've got the opportunity, you realize actually you're, you're, you're really scared that, that mm-hmm. it's, you know, that all those things for years you've said, no, I could do that. Maybe you can't do. Maybe do- when push comes to shove, you actually haven't got, you know, the ability yeah. you think you've got that I hundred percent know that I, I have it on a well daily basis as to as as we get closer to the album coming out and that whole sense of self doubt because um, someone put it like success is giving us there's this you know probably a self help quote or something that people will know but success is allowing yourself the room for failure and it's it's scary because if you don't try you you genuinely don't fail and mm. and you know it's being busy is a lot easier than taking that time out. And really being, I guess, uh, mindful and conscious of, right, I'm going to try this. If it fails, so be it. And yeah, nearly every day, I, I don't know, I think those those feelings of 
feeling like an imposter or you, especially with social media. I don't know, is it the same for you? Do you follow people who are very successful at what you're doing? I don't know, because in music, certainly you see these people and they just look so much more together. They look like they've got all the answers and, and they're all... I feel like it, almost like they're all friends. All the people I'm like, oh, I really like that person. I like that person. And you're like, wait a minute, they're all talking to each other. Mm. And you're like, it's a party. And you're literally, you're not even in the party. You're just like down the road listening to it. So it's crying yourself to sleep in a sleeping bag. <laughs> I, I think the thing about that is the people I find on social media who I end up following are the people who actually are really, really good at what they do, but they never really talk about it that way. I think the people who are moderately good at what they do like to tell you how good they are at what they do. <laughs> but the people that are really mm. talented just don't. They they're, yeah. they're, they're you know, they they accept that it is what it is and they share a bit more and a, and a, little, a little bit more kind of you know all encompassing whereas the, the 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 ones that I avoid are the ones that with a little bit of a success or a little bit of talent who then spend the rest of the time telling you all about that little bit of talent they've got and that's a bit wearing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah you don't, I, I don't really um, tend to follow other event managers. As, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, it's probably quite a niche. Yeah, it's quite. A, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, it's it's weird. The, the only sort of like social media I follow is there's something called the Event Managers Blog, which is on Facebook, um, but it's quite clearly American, and no, it just speaks a different language to sure. you know how we oh, do yeah. events here. Um, so I don't, but I, you know, I think in terms of sort of like. Uh, for want of a better description, pop stars that I follow on social media. I've ended up in a kind of furrow of music of really unpopular people that I stand in a room going, why aren't they massive? Mm. Uh, But maybe they're they're not because they don't play that populist game. Now that's, yeah, that I've really wrestled with that one because I, I would, there's a lot of people who, who share this sentiment as well. I know, uh, but that, so I'm not going to say anything particularly groundbreaking, but you want, especially being a bit older, you grew up with a time of where, where you're artists, you couldn't get to them. And there was mystery and, you know, it's beyond arm's length. You weren't even yeah, yeah. Yeah, getting close. And and yet now we, you're just expected to, in order to remain relevant, you're you're just showing, you're kind of yeah laundering your dirty washing, as it were. And I've I've seen people try not to do that and not to play that game. And they've struggled just well, just as much by not getting anywhere as if you're doing it, but you're having the the crisis of conscience of of actually having to partake. And I think it's certainly there's something to be said for playing a character or you exhibit a certain amount of yourself, but you you want to always keep something sacred, I guess. But it, it is a real wrestling match. I, I'm totally with you because I, ultimately, as well, you you make the music to go here. I am. This is me. This is everything I've I've had to say. I've said it, it's committed to this recording, this vinyl, and and I'm really proud of that. But then everyone, like like even, I know, PRs, and they'll be like, great, so you still need to be telling people about yourself and the journey and what that song means. And what do we have against mystery? I, I don't know. I, I can remember um, some friends of mine who will remain nameless. So we're probably talking late 80s, early 90s. Birmingham band got signed and um, they got whisked off to LA to record their second album. And uh, there's a track on it. It's called something like Million Miles Away Girl or, you know, one of those sort of like cliched sort of like rock mm. titles. And um, it was their first album. So they hadn't had that press training and whatever and the and a journalist said so um this song million miles away girl what's it about and uh, the lead singer went well i don't know words just rhymed didn't they and the bollocking they got off the label was like no you're in la your girlfriend is back in the uk you miss her blah blah we build this whole backstory about it and he's like but the words just rhymed and and it's an odd one because you there's some there's a vacuous pop has its place. You know, it, does, it doesn't have to like, I mean, listen, like the Black Eyed Peas or, or all these bands, they're, they're literally writing phonetically. Yeah. It's just like, great, boo-boo gaga, well, just sounds great, fine. Well, well you know. look, I mean, I'll, I'll stand up in front of anybody and say that um, Mandy by Barry Manilow is one of the greatest pop songs ever written. And he's hit the ground running because he's put a name in it. So straight away he's going to sell... Mm-hmm. Enough copies to anybody who knows uh, uh, anybody called Amanda or Mandy or whatever. But 
you can look at it and say, oh, it's cheesy and cool. It's, it's a brilliant song. It's just a brilliant, brilliant you, song. That's that's a great book. I think you're, yeah, you're, we're getting close to this this idea. I think of um, it, of, of success as well, like how to how to grade something, and I think you do that with all of our respective jobs as well. It's like how do you, how can you rate a, anything that you're doing? I mean, there's there's obviously financial return when you're dealing with business, but I think in music, I've I've trying to recalibrate that rather than just go that's a rubbish song or, or anything artistic because it's. I I would bring a certain set of subjective values to that that yeah. maybe that and it's you have to kind of understand the demographics that the song was written for and, and and it's it's a point I'm trying to learn is how successful is the song in accomplishing what I believe it's aimed to be yeah. and so okay for instance I might I might dislike Ed Sheeran let's say but as because he's but but to take a song that that he's written. And apply like that criteria. It's like, well, what's he trying to do? Okay, he's it's trying he's trying to write a current pop song that's hooky, that gets people dancing and gets radio play. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. And it was he successful? Yes, he was. You know, it's not about do I do I like it? That's not the the function of the the piece. Whereas again, that's maybe just just to just to bring it back and make it all about me. Otherwise, I'm doing a terrible job of self-promotion here, and I, I'd have to question what I'm even doing here, to be honest, quite frankly. So, with Whitetail Falls, I um, album released 29th of May. That's a Friday, by the way. Um, I thought, uh, yeah, it, it kind of had to to move me, and I didn't feel like I even there were courses where I didn't want to the melody to override necessarily what I was saying, and I'd have to think really carefully about it because it, it mattered everything on that the track mattered and I really wanted to get a, a point across and for me I felt when I finished it that's successful and then the the crippling agonizing self-doubt seeps in regardless for the purposes of the podcast uh Irwin did wink to camera <laughs> when he mentioned the album name so just 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 I want to put that in now because it was Thanks. a beautiful moment <laughs> but the but I, I liken that a little bit too because there's nothing wrong with the Ed Sheeran approach if that's what he's wanting to aim to achieve then that's absolutely mm -hmm. fine and he largely hits the money he hits the ground running on that stuff all the time mm -hmm. I would liken that to say going back a few years to something like the first Damien Rice album mm -hmm. and that was not an album that was designed to you know to, to sell gazillion copies. That was a very personal album with very personal songs, beautifully recorded uh, in a very specific way. You know, really kind of keep the door mm. open on those kind of very open, slightly, you know, in, in a room acoustic recordings. Yeah, and and to me, that's the, the two halves of that, that coin. So you can go the Damien route and it's all about the songs and it's stripped back and it's bare and it's about a vibe or it's the very, very, very managed Ed Sheeran route, both mm. of which are fine. There's not... There's not a there's not a problem. I think the issue comes when you try to do both, because you can't do mm. both. And you, and I think for Ed Sheeran to claim that um, he he poured his heart and soul into some of those songs to me would not feel right. Um, and it's clearly obvious with something like the Damien Rice album that that's not that yes okay it sold very well but it, that was never the 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 intention of the project to start off mm. with. You have a feeling Damien Rice would be probably one of the most surprised people yes. that it had been as successful commercially as it was. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so I think you'd, yeah, but you'd be probably... I certainly get what you're saying there in, in, in terms of that. Um, which brings me to another question about the album. Uh, I feel I should wink at the camera as well. Um, so is there, is, have you been working with anybody else or is it, is it all about you with the album? <laughs> has, has it all just been you or have you, has, has there been some... Much on. as I would love to say yes, um, it, it, how it no that that wouldn't be true. I I think part of it as well was was nerves, and I'm I was never the techie one in in the Hoosiers, and so I've I had no idea how to record, and you can you can hear that throughout the album. Um, and I I would set myself, I guess as as well as a knee jerk reaction, well not knee jerk, a considered reaction to how a, everything in co writes it gets mapped, it gets locked to the grid because it has to for the sake of appealing to radio. And um, on this, I would have my loose keeping of my general sense of time kind of remain. And I, I gave myself like three takes to play ev every part. And so there are like, there, there are, it's, it feels alive is one way of putting it. Um, but I, I didn't know how to actually make a record. So um, I met someone called Erland Cooper 
who is having a real moment at the at the moment with his um, uh, post classical um, kind of ambient uh, soundtracks, and uh, he's just under his own name, Erlen Cooper, and he's been getting a lot of six music love, and he's uh, written for a lot of people, um, and he was in another band called the Magnetic North. If anyone knows of that, but uh, he he really helped exec produce the record. And it was his idea to use my really scrappy demos that I would assume, great, he's going to help me shine it all up. And instead he was like, his point was, no, we get some strings and a harpist in. I didn't know how to arrange for any of that. So that was a learning curve. As well as I bought in, I pulled a, a lot of favours. I got a really good mate on bass to play a couple of tracks, good mate on drums to do a, a bit of programming. So it was collaborative where it needed to be, but I, I was keen to see how my restrictions as playing and singing and recording could kind of bring out, I don't know, something, just something. I, and I'm a very yeah uh, restricted player in terms of talent. And yeah, I was trying to, trying to own that. The demos that are on Spotify at the moment that I was listening to this morning, are, are they basically what's on the album, but embellished? <laughs> so on, on, uh, that's been released so far. There's a couple, there's a few singles, there's three singles out at the moment. And there are a couple of, just live recordings um, that I I just wanted to to kind of add and recorded in a couple of hours for the sake of, um, to be honest, to make up on an EP. And I thought that would that would kind of sit quite nicely because there's a remix and I was like, oh, this is that's going to be all too polished. And so I dirted it up with a filthy couple of demos and a mic, just one mic, and it was raining, so they're called rainy day shed sessions i was in a shed <laughs> made sense it was a session what do you yeah. want yeah no but no the rest of the album i mean it sort of progresses and i i sort of figured out where to stick a mic by the end of it um, and you can sort of hear a slight evolutionary curve on it though though to be fair there's no right or wrong place to stick a microphone there is no <laughs> just different just yeah there's, there, there isn't right or wrong so you know it is what it is but, true uh, say yes um it would be remiss of us not to talk a little bit about the Hoosiers. Of course. Um, but, uh, and I feel I'm going to steal Jason's thunder here. Because you go for I, it, mate. Okay, is that all right? Yeah. yeah. App- apparently, you were voted worst band ever by Enemy. <laughs> oh, wow. They're, when I, th- I was thinking, okay, they're going to ask some real like obvious question, like, who's Ray? Are you still worried about him? <laughs> yeah. But I got, yeah. the, I got the kick in the ghoulies <laughs> question. <laughs> the real one, not the Had you not, not winked at the camera, you probably would have... <laughs> that'll teach me um and let let us let's not forget everyone's forgotten but when we were given the worst band of uh of the year award 2007 uh, we did ask to go and collect the award actually and we had a speech written and um and we'd announce ourselves at gigs as the that just letting everyone know that they've paid money to come and see the worst band (laughs) we don't know if it's of the world or just uk but right we we played each night like it was the world like it was the world um, yeah yeah did our best um, but yeah, they they wouldn't let us go and collect the award. Wow, that's, that's shocking, yeah. actually. Oh, isn't it? Uh, really? Because if you're gonna if you're gonna dish it out, you you really should be able to take it back as well, shouldn't you? So you. Oh well, you know. yeah, and to but to be honest, I mean, it's like it's not the award you'd choose when you're starting out in your career, but an award's an award. I don't know. There's a really famous New York Dolls advert that was in Rolling Stone or you know Cream or something like that. That's mm. a it's a four page advert. And it's it's two half pages, and the top says, "Voted the world's worst band." And in the same poll, they're also voted the world's best band. So they put both of them on the advert. So you know, you're in good company, I think. Yeah. Well, in a way, there there is something to be said for not being too vanilla. And mm-hmm. and I I think we had a little bee in a bonnet and our bonnet, a our bonnet in particular, not just any bonnet. It was ours. We owned that bonnet with a bee in it. Um, and we thought uh, we just didn't want to be ignored. So I guess that was the point of even if you annoy people, even if you really push it one way and you become Marmite, which is Marmite. like Marmite, <laughs> but, but slightly different, even even more Marmite than Marmite. <laughs> Everyone knows Marmite, don't you? Jeez, I need to put my teeth back in. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, the reason why I've got it written down is because um, I, I wouldn't have asked that question of anybody who hadn't got a, it's fun. who hadn't won that award or yeah. hadn't clearly got a sense of humor yeah i mean it, oh. it's quite 
it's quite evident i uh, chatting to you for the last sort of like 20 minutes but uh, actually sort of like if you watch the videos and you you see um you know some of the interviews that you've done on youtube obviously you you clearly are quite comfortable in taking the mickey out of yourself really and the band and then mm-hmm. and, and and that kind of led me then down to the edinburgh fringe thing that you did mm-hmm. um which seemed to be like not just taking the mickey out of yourself but the entire sort of like fame recording industry kind of thing. I mean, you know, I mean, what was it called? It was Self Help Yourself Famous. It was indeed. It was indeed. Good research. Oh, but, yeah. You know, I'm like a professional journalist these days. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so, I mean, I think with the Hoosiers wise, we, myself and Al, genuinely, we've been mates since school. And so, that, that's kind of what you tend to do is, is have a bit of a laugh. But we were very serious about the music. So we that we appreciate sometimes maybe got lost a little in translation where people thought it was all a bit of a, a joke to us. But um, I mean, making any music, it's a, a lot of work goes into that process and, and writing for those albums. And um, we are still very much together and operating and, and we're starting to write for some uh, new records. But we were, um, yeah, the, the fun was always the, the promo and interviews side as well, because you, it was so gruelling. And we, if I'm honest, we genuinely quite enjoy it, which is because we just make each other laugh in it. And we, we'll make the opportunity of just talking to other people and just having, having fun with that. that. Because the work has already sort of been done. That's committed to record. Um, but then we, uh, we kind of had a, well, last year we just we've been toying with this this notion of putting together a comedy musical, and um, and sort of loosely based on our experiences. And it came from a conversation I had with Joe Wiley Clang uh, about twelve years ago, where I said, "How do you handle being famous?" She goes, "I don't." <laughs> I said, "There should be a handbook written about it, shouldn't there?" Mm. And she went, "Yeah," and that's that's when it hit me. And eventually, that over over a decade later uh, took form on uh, an Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, stage and um it's it's our alter egos we play called felix and the scooter men is the name of our comedy musical um project and uh yeah we play fictionalized versions of ourselves and and yet kind of we we wanted that idea of shining a torch on on the industry really and Mm. and how it affects relationships and mental health as well because um it's certainly it takes a toll and it's an unnatural state of being just any any idea of being famous or feeling like you are other to the person next to you that's just a bizarre place to find yourself um and just to leave you on this one it we actually got our best review we've ever had in nme <laughs> crazy the thing the lengths you've got to go to <laughs> got a rave review in fact it was, it was brilliant wow <laughs> was it worth it no not really i was, gonna, I was just going to say i think i think that what you've just described there i think that's really healthy from a mental well-being perspective and being slightly serious for a moment, I think to be able to do something like that, because as much as it's it's got a comedy element to it, there's also something slightly, you know, there's a serious message in the background there as well. I think it's a really healthy thing to do um, because you're right. How, how do you cope with a lifestyle where you could be on stage at a festival and have 30, 40, 50,000 people screaming at you uh, and then walk off? stage mm-hmm. thinking that great well i've got to get some petrol and i you know i said i'd pick up some baby food on the way home or whatever it might be mm. um yeah. and, and it's such a difficult thing to kind of get your head around it's not like there are obviously there is more suffering going on in the world than our poor fated celebrities but you know it's an interesting one because i guess they can't complain about it necessarily but their life isn't their own at the same time they've, they're signing up for it and and the crazy thing is that Everyone wants to be where they are, Every, you know, apparently. I mean, it's, it's funny the older you get where it, it, that, it seems like an, an, un, an unappealing side effect a little bit more. Although, give it its dues, fame can be very seductive. And even in the show we wrote, it's, it is a drug. And it's, um, you know, you kind of, it's one way as well to gauge success. Going back to that, it's like, oh, wow, people, you know, because we've played our fair share of gigs to no one. But then to actually have people that and they're singing along, that's that's crazy. That and that's that's how it starts. You get hooked. Yeah, I've only mm. done the first half of that equation. Like, <laughs> yeah, me too. Loads of gigs to no one at all. Yeah, 
I got heckled in Grimethorpe, um, which is <laughs> That's still a, my. That could be a great fame. album title. <laughs> it would be a great album title, mm. wouldn't it? It's in there. Um, it's like if I ever went out as a solo act, I'd want to go out as Hardy Perennial. Um, that's wow. always been the one I've thought about for that. That's good. What What would your get up be? Would you have you thought any further on it? I don't know because how do you work plant pots into a into some form of stage outfit? Well, I don't I'm know not if, if Guns sure. N' Roses could Peter have Gabriel. bucket head Actually, or yeah. something. You know, you can do this. Yeah, you mm. can. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. There's a way. I, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. We'll we'll, we'll brainstorm it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. Further, I think definitely. Huh? Um, but I think our worst heckle actually on on this subject, and it's um. We played Dublin Castle in Camden. Um, this was when we were still at university. It was myself and Al and another couple of guys. I think we were called Templeton Peck or something. Oh, good Ooh, name. Good name. Yeah, thanks. Um, and we just finished our set. It was terrible. There was about five people there. And someone at the back yelled out, Mediocre! <laughs> it just, just hung in the air. And I think that's like, that's the most... It's still now, like, we'll bring up... We'll just call each other Mediocre! You know, it's like, because it still has weight. It oh, still gets yeah. you. Yeah. You see, yeah, it, I, you know, given that I used to play in like punky rock and roll bands, we were just too loud, too hard and too fast <laughs> to ever get any heckling. That is that is bulletproof armour, isn't it, as yeah. far as playing live Although goes. I did once play to the National Front by accident, which was <laughs> utterly terrifying. I'm terrified to ask any questions. <laughs> there was a pub in Birmingham that was called the Ship Ashore, which is ridiculous given how far we are away from any water. And it was on stilts as well, just in case global warming <laughs> yeah. got to the stage where we needed a pub on stilts. Okay, it's setting the scene for a lot of conspiracy theories. And, and it was, um, it looked like an office block on stilts. It was just like a big square concrete building. And the gigs used to be on the top floor. And there were, there were three floors... And so we'd, we'd loaded in. Obviously, there's no lift, so we'd had to carry everything up, you know, three flights of stairs. And uh, we sound checked, and the uh, the owner of the place went, oh, you can go downstairs, the middle floor bar's open. Um, so we, we went downstairs to get a pint while we were waiting for the massive crowds of about 15 people to turn up and walked into a National Front meeting, which was terrifying. Um, uh, so we quickly ordered our pints and ran back upstairs and you know bearing in mind you know we were this would have been about 1990 so we were a proper guns and roses back combed hair eyeliner wearing kind of thing yeah. uh, and uh, and upstairs had no stage either we were playing on the floor with just monitors separating us from the audience so as soon as we start playing and we were the, fortunately we were the support act um they heard the noise and they all came upstairs, didn't pay, just passed through. And we knew who was going to stop skinheads. Mm. And then they stood the other side of the monitor, just mouthing your shit at us <laughs> through every single song. I mean, in a way, that is that's probably one of your best sort of critical appraisals you could have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they were into it, then you've you've got to really ask yourself some searching questions. Yeah, and uh, our 40-minute set lasted about 25 minutes because we played it so fast. And, and, yeah. and then, you know, we always had a policy back then of whichever band had kindly given us a support slot, we would stay and watch them and clap them and everything. Mm. I was at home at quarter past nine that <laughs> night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the right thing to do. It, it begs the question, though, what do the National Front listen to? Do they have it's probably some dark subgenre of something? Or you know, some kind of techno Wagner or something? I don't uh, think it's, um, yeah, I don't think it's got any acoustic guitars in it. No, no. <laughs> very little, very light on pan pipes. No. In my guess. No, no, it's not Damien Rice esque, is it? No, uh, I think the arrangements are probably limited. Yeah, yeah. Rudimental, in fact. Yes, yeah. yes. Just the hint of a jackboot stomping in the background is, yeah. is, is all you, all you really want. Three chords and 
a lot of lies. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We probably ought to deviate away from that yeah, topic yeah, because yeah, we, yeah. we could end up in a lot. Threatens of... to weigh us down. <laughs> I know, in a, in, a, in a lot of a lot. Probably of about time I, I plugged something, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you've not plugged anything for, <laughs> for at least yeah, six minutes, while. so we ought to yeah. we ought to we ought to go back to that. I'm we surprised. Prob- I'm still surprised you haven't asked about guitars or something. Oh, I was like, like even, a mental checklist of any. No, I've, no, I've no, no, no. There's there's one question coming up about guitars, but. To be honest, um, the podcast is more about the people. We, we're, you know, although it's, you know, it's a, it's it's linked to the guitar show. Uh, neither of us are really that nerdy about about guitars, um, and there are plenty of places you can go to to yeah. to you know get that that fix if that's the fix you're looking for. And we're, being of a certain age, the two of us are far more interested in the music and the stories behind the music. So, uh, so, mm. so yeah. So, um, but I'm pleased you've been kept on edge for this for this long. <laughs> yes. That's that's great that you've been in a uh, a state uh, yeah, of unease. I, um, <laughs> we ought to uh, we ought to move on to our quick fire questions, yes. didn't we? Yes, we um, should. And as tradition um, dictates, I introduce the the topic. So I I go oh, and we have five five quick fire questions for you to answer. It's our lockdown special questions, and then also have to point out that I don't know what any of these questions are because Jason's got them written down. And so I've done that every episode so far. So I'll I'll do it this one as well. I'll pass over to you, Jason. Okay. So the first question, uh, relatively um, simple question: What one thing in your career are you most proud of? Ooh, one thing. Oh man, I thought they were going to be right quick fire. So, do I need to give a quick answer? Well, no, no, no. I mean, Glenn Matlock took about three quarters of an hour, so <laughs> oh, you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, makes me feel better. Um, uh, one thing that I'm most proud of. I, I feel like you know. Usually, I give this answer when someone says, "What's the best song you've written?" or something, and I'll go, "I haven't written it yet." I almost want. I want to say oh, this because oh. I'm like, I, I like the idea that it's. You've got to be looking forward and and that can be hard when you have um well the the most successful thing i've done is the first album mm. but um i don't like to stay there i don't like to fixate on it myself i don't think that's that's healthy uh for creativity so it is always always the next thing um is it your new album is that coming out know, soon i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> a, as as you've uh, got me in a corner i'll uh, i'll go with that this new album because uh, honestly i i still feel like there's no way i know how to make a record and yet the record is made and i'm going to be holding it in my hands soon mm. and that's that's staggering so if, if i can do that anyone can pick up a guitar and go for it brilliant so next question which three people dead or alive would you like to have dinner with mm, i would go one of them would be toby smith who uh, is our late great um producer of the first two hoosiers albums as well as um, he, he really developed the band and he was the original synth father in Jamiroquai and he wrote a lot of their hits as well. And he is just one of the most incredible human beings you've ever met. And he's very funny, very rude. Um, at, at once, the most incredible and terrible human. Hmm. Um, he, he really, it's always a and skill. I, absolutely. And he's, you know, sadly no longer with us, um, but... Uh, what a guy. Yeah, he'd definitely be there because he's just the most fun, incredibly unpredictable. And he just doesn't care about what other people think, which is very dangerous. And I find that very challenging and it's not really quite my style. Oh, it, get, it gets like easier as you get older. It, it uh, true, does. true. Yeah, you just fewer, can I say, shits? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Given, great. You notice how I cared about that yeah. reaction though, seems. Yeah. Okay, that's one. Jeez, the others will be quicker. Um, I'm going to go Little Richard. Nice. Why yeah. not? Because yeah, he's, he's yeah. on my mind uh, at the moment, and um, well, this is going to be a—it's going to be quite a night, actually. Um, and then I'm going to have to tone it down by going with someone like um, a. Uh, or let's go with um, Reverend Desmond Tutu, because <laughs> you know I feel we need something to temper the other personalities around the the <laughs> dinner table. Was it a dinner table? I yeah, know. yeah. It's the come down question. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, uh, the re- you know how how everyone would sit together and think that that's a balanced palette of personalities. Yeah. Excellent. Um, <laughs> which piece of gear do you wish you'd never sold? Oof. Hmm. I, actually, yeah, it'd probably be my gig rig, my first gig rig. 
um, it was their like first wave of of multi effect pedal changes, mm. and um, and it it was just it just did what it was supposed to. It was good. It was um, and then I went high end. I went MIDI floor controller just in time for the venues to sort of get smaller and um, my guitar techs to like develop really bad backs, things like that. Um, sorry guys about that. And also, you know, the MIDI, the MIDI cables just, they just break all the time. Yeah. Mm. And, and the other, the other pedal, it just did what it was supposed to. And, you know, it wasn't broke and yet I fixed it. Cool. Uh, what's the best gig you've ever been to? I've ever been to. That's tricky. I've I've seen Springsteen like five five or six times. I maybe it was the maybe I'd say Springsteen at Leeds. I can't even remember the name of the arena, but it had just opened. Oh, the Leeds and Arena. First, it's the first it's first direct arena in Leeds. It had just first opened. Direct, yeah, that sounds it was, about right. That yeah. was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. We, you guys weren't there. I saw him on that tour, but not in that venue. Yeah. But you were lucky because every other venue on the on the tour was a stadium. Yeah, yeah. Because I actually I did the double. I saw him in Cardiff the night before, I think, and then and then in Leeds. But yeah, and absolutely, and I've seen him seen him at Wembley, and it was like the worst sound. I was, I was Coventry living, was, was awful. The other year. Coventry sound really? was absolutely shocking because um, it can't be my favourite gig. Simply because he was amazing. Yeah, but the sound was so awful. Um, yeah. And those so it, tickets are not cheap. They weren't cheap, no. But that's no. that's saying something then. If that that happened for you as well, I'm really sorry about it because see, seeing him with that band and the with great sound in that arena, that first direct, did you say? Yeah, first direct arena, I think in Leeds. Yeah, and that was yeah, it was that was something else. It's um, actually it will be first direct because first direct are based in Leeds. Um, it's funny because I've been to see Billy Joel a few times. And he's I, he very rarely plays stadiums. It's always arenas, and the sound yeah. has always been astonishing. Uh, Is that his choice then? Do you think? Um, well, I guess so because he'd be able to sell out you'd, you'd think, stadiums right? no problem, uh, mm. and he would do more dates. So he'll come over, and when he does, he'll add more dates and do. So like when he played last night at Manchester, I think he did two or three nights on the on the trot. But he was fantastic, mm. and it's the same sort of thing. Similar artist, similar age, similar pedigree, yeah. great bands. Difference being the sound for him was just was just so good and uh, you know mm. and, and Springsteen not so was that which is kind of like the inspiration for your album like Nebraska recorded at home <laughs> what, was the, it there I I think that it, the fact that he'd done that here I think I I heard the story of how he made Nebraska in the him just kind of him in a four track mm. making sort of demos for an album that. Did it end up becoming the river, wasn't it? It was simultaneous. No, they tried to record it twice, I think. Spent about half a million dollars. With the at, full band, that's With the right. full band, and they scrapped it yeah. and just released the four yeah. tracks. Which was like like his demos, yeah. Mm. Accidentally. I mean, clearly, that's not a four-track Fostex thing with a C90 cassette <laughs> yeah, in it. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. And, um, yeah, did he actually did he have any help engineering it, even, I I, I can't. I, I can't imagine great. that. What? When would it have been? About seventy-seven, seventy-eight, Nebraska. Yeah, around, around and so he'd already. Time. I mean, mm. he'd already done that whole big. I mean, he'd come over and he played Hammersmith Odeon and stuff like that. Yeah. So I kind of imagine that a tech would have brought it to his house and set it all up and basically gone, Bruce, mm. you just press record when mm. you're ready. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, see, yeah. That's. I'm, I might challenge that, and I tell you the reason why I might challenge that is because he has a very um, sort of blue-collar approach to his work, doesn't he? He gets up every day and he writes. He treats it as a job. Uh, and he's had that kind of the blue-collar work ethics always been part of what he does. So to me, he would be somebody who would find out how to do it, who would actually, mm. you know, because of that, instilled in him from his upbringing. So I don't know, I might disagree with that as, a, as, as we don't know and we're guessing. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm just going to actually just phone him. Just give me a shout. Yeah, it's me. Um, oh, right, you did. Okay. Yeah, actually, it was uh, on an early iPhone. <laughs> just an early prototype of GarageBand. Hi. <laughs> so, so the final question. Um, uh, what's the first thing you're going to do post-lockdown? Oof. 
I mean, everyone's going to say go to the pub, aren't they, and have a beer, which is obviously what everyone's going to do, including me. But I'm going to have to say something different. I'm just talking you through the thought process. No, it's fine. Um, I'll probably just stay in and watch uh, Catch Up on Netflix because I, I figure the bandwidth in my local area will just be through the roof because <laughs> there'll be no more demand on it. You're going to stream on three or four devices at the same time oh, I'm going to go because nuts. you can. Yeah, watching the same thing. <laughs> the same thing on four different devices. Yeah, for no all, reason whatsoever. All a nanosecond out with each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I'll be in. I'll, I'll have turned flipped insane in under a minute. <laughs> <laughs> or being sucked into a black hole or whatever that will create, you know. You'll be disappointed to hear that actually somebody did say it would, I quite fancy when it all finishes, maybe, you know, going on a sabbatical and locking myself away. So, it. Who was that? That's good. Uh, it was Ryan Roxy, actually. Uh, Alice Cooper's yeah, that's one up against. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, but yeah. Get some me time. Yeah. <laughs> Guess, yeah. I, I think that that's you know, a lot of people who I love my family dearly, but you know, I think we are now eight weeks in starting to drive. This each is unnatural. Other mad. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah, you you've got a baby. I've got two teenagers, two teenage daughters in the house. I think you've got it worse, yeah. I like the nodding. You weren't saying it, but you're like I have. Yeah, I really and my life is shitter than yours. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Jace, you uh, you haven't got an album coming out, have you? I haven't got an album coming out. I, and, I, and I've not got an album coming out either. Uh, yeah. Erwin, have, have you got anything in the... Uh... Well, thanks for asking. As it happens, um, yeah, I thought, you know, why not um, Why not give, give people something to listen to? So here I've got this album. It's called Age of Entitlement. And yes, it's coming out on... Uh, on physical education recordings on Friday the 29th of May. White Tail Falls, what does that mean? Um, I, Because I, I was thinking as it was going to just be my thing of using my name, but but then I quite like having having something to hide behind and that idea of there being a little more mystery to it, um, which obviously this this whole podcast is is helping to ruin um thank you but then um yeah cheers listen the cheers seven people who are going to listen to this probably would have bought it anyway so you, yeah you're fine True. that's a good point yeah well that makes me feel better thanks <laughs> um yeah and I, I i read it in a book and it was about the pacific northwest and it's somewhere i'd never been and i liked that because i didn't have anything to project upon it and so it's can be whatever I, I wanted it to be and i liked how the words sounded together i'm into it nice cool yeah well, i think i think we're about done aren't we um, we, we we've talked for an hour unbelievable well. unbelievable time flies oh, when you're having fun no when you're asking me questions <laughs> that's, that's just like blah, 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 blah. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, thanks. And, uh, Me too. No, yeah, no, thank you very much. And uh, and 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 yeah, I don't I don't know what else to add really. So I've stuttered through <laughs> that bit. I'll chop that bit out probably. Um, and and hopefully, Erwin, we'll see you at the guitar show. Um, oh yeah. We'll, we'll send you directions to the right one. That'd um, be helpful. Yeah, we can do that for you. Uh, but yeah, if you you know, I think uh, if you fancy, well, February fancy coming probably along, fair yeah. oh, player. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, to be honest, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, let's let's have a talk about that because I've I've got family in Birmingham as well. That would be uh, that'd be well well worth it. I'd be up in, for that. In which case, you heard it here first, folks. Erwin will be at the next guitar show. Uh, nailed on. Legally <laughs> um, binding. Uh, yes, and if lockdown carries on any more than what another four or five weeks, we might have to have you on the podcast again. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. As you're just going to do. It. Do a big loop, right? Yeah. We we only there's only six people who'll talk to us. So um, well, five now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. That's uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Our performance is clearly mediocre. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> thank. Hi. Thank you. Right. Uh, thanks a lot, Owen. We will we will talk no to worries. you soon. Take care. Right. Thanks very thank much, you. chaps. Bye. 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 And we are back. And for those of you that weren't listening closely, uh, Irwin's got an album coming out. Has he? Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, he's got an album. In fact, it's out, isn't it? Was it out last yeah, week? Yeah, it came out last week, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I hope it's going well, Irwin. And if you're listening, and I hope you are listening, uh, let us know how, you, how, it's, how it's going. Uh, I've certainly liked the tracks I've listened to. 
Um, so, um, you know, um, yeah, very, very good. But what, what, what a lovely, what a lovely chap. What a really great interview. Very, very funny chap as well. Uh, yeah, he was really, really good sense of it. Um, I found myself laughing loads when I I did the edit um, for it. Um, so so wish him we wish him all the best. Um, we the we do, we do. I mean, yeah, I I listened back to it and laughed a lot as well, which is really weird when I'm laughing at a conversation that I'm involved in. Um, yeah, I I do that. Isn't that odd? Isn't that a bit strange? <laughs> it is. Odd. It's really weird, especially if you know. What I was just saying, I was talking to um, mate of mine, um, Paul, uh, the tattooist and he's got his own podcast now and we were were chatting about it and he said that he laughs as well when he's editing it Mm. Um, so we're not alone in the fact that we laugh at ourselves no i i honestly i laugh out loud when i'm editing and uh you know and then you get people because obviously a lot of time i'll edit in headphones and Mm. so it's just a it's just a random spontaneous I mean, the number of times the door opens because people think I'm in some kind of pain or I'm having a seizure or... <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's just... Um, but then again, <laughs> yeah, th- that bit when we did Bumblefoot and I was singing Rocky Horror at the top of my voice with my headphones on was caused a bit of a problem in our house as well. So uh, <laughs> so we're perhaps, perhaps, perhaps stay clear of all that. Hey, you've got an update, haven't you? You've got an update on, uh, on, on Mick and Keith. <laughs> Yes, so um, according to Wikipedia, on the recording of Can You Hear Me Knocking, Keith is panned hard right and Mick is panned hard left. So I am Malcolm and Mick. And I am Keith and Angus. And we were just talking about that. And whilst whilst headline items look like I've got the better deal out of that, I'm not so sure. I think actually you might have got the... Is it possible for somebody to be cooler than Keith? And I don't know, I think Mick... Mick was really cool. I, I think Mick was really cool. Uh, he's a phenomenal player. Yes. And um, I, I, I just win. It's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. I called shotgun straight away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The quiet man's the quiet man's done it. You know the 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 reluctant podcasters just trumped me twice. Yeah. There you go. No. I, I just I need to might... know what side Izzy Stradlin's on now, which I right. think is left. And I've got the whole thing wrapped. You've up. got the set. You, you've yeah. got the set. Oh, right. Okay. I, mean, I should have put some more thought into this. I've, I've been. I think I've been, I've been found out this morning. But <laughs> there we are. Um. So um, we've got an, we've got another one coming next week. Another interview um that we recorded uh, previously a few weeks ago. Um, and we're speaking next week to uh, Simon uh, from the brand new heavies. And I'd be right in saying Simon is very much an individual. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed chatting to him. We had a few issues um, with connection. Um, I mean, we recorded it so long ago. I think it was uh, when the entire world jumped onto Zoom yeah. and uh, started recording at home and, and stuff. So broadband was an issue. Um, but he was great. I really mm. enjoyed talking to him. Um, he said he's going to do the guitar show next year, yeah, um, which is great. Uh, and as you've just heard, we've really pressured Erwin into doing the guitar show next year as well. Yes, I, 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 I'd just like Erwin to come on stage and I don't know recite anything or read bit from something or just do anything. I can just listen to him all day. He's just yeah. so he's just that he's got that presence about him. Uh, but I'm looking forward to hearing Simon play. Um, mm. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be good. But yeah, yeah, we, we, we're managing to do quite well. I think that's. Three of the interviews that we've done so far for the podcast are all confirmed for the show next year. Yes, because there's Glenn as well. There's Glenn's as well, yeah. We ought to hope that Earl's still here and Earl will pop down as well. That'd be quite oh, nice. That'd be amazing. Yeah, because those two together are just, they're, they're hilarious. In fact, have you seen any of their stuff on YouTube that they've been doing? Uh, <laughs> no. Because they, they, they've done a couple of broadcasts, something, the two of them in the, in the, in the, out of the lounge, the room where we interviewed them. Oh, I'd like to think that we were partly responsible for that. I'd, I'd like to think, yeah, we sowed the seed for that particular thing, but they're definitely going down this slight YouTube personality thing. If you've not seen it, you ought to have a look. It does look... Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful photo of the two of them sat on, on the front step with masks on. Ah, advertising. I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, if, and if you haven't... If you're listening to this and you haven't listened back to some of the other interviews, th- those two... Well, they're all good, actually, but the, the one with Glenn, the one with Earl, 
Um, those two are very much worth listening to back to back. If you can, because uh, the episodes aren't that long. If you can, if you can take yourself for a long walk and and listen to the two of those episodes back to back, and uh, yeah, very amusing, very amusing. Right, well, we're about done for this week. So um, everybody, stay safe, um, and we'll be back with you uh, with Simon from the brand new heavies next week. And and that's me done. Unless you've got anything you want to chip in, uh, Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, who'd have thought Malcolm would be a cool name? Um, but no, um, well, Mrs. Young, obviously, at some point, <laughs> well, yeah, and Mr. Young, possibly. Um, no, nothing else to add other than, um, have a listen to a bit of Simon's um podcast, and uh, it'll follow this, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, take care. Coming next time on 9 to 42. My first electric guitar I bought from like this place called Exchange and Mart where you could exchange stuff and and everything, you know, like this yeah, place. Yeah. Uh, and they had this guitar up on the wall. It was, an, it was a K. K was this make of guitars that were really cheap and accessible. I don't know if you remember them. And they were, and it was an SG with a with a with a whammy bar with a big spring. And if you lifted the whammy bar up, the spring would fly out. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Hold up. 